0: Would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that faith comes from hearing the word. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I preach and each one of us understand a little bit more about what you are doing in nurturing us as your followers. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. People come to faith on trips. It used to irk me that as a youth pastor, week after week, I'd give these youth talks and share the gospel and tell stories and we'd play these games and and activities to build faith. And then I'd go on some ski weekend and some youth pastor from a different church would say the same thing I said two weeks ago and three kids are crying and give their life to Christ. And I'm like, I said the same thing last month in youth group and it used to bother me. And then I remembered something my own youth pastor used to say is that when God wants to teach you something, he takes you on a journey. And so youth ministry in that church was set up with intentional, actually in this church too, intentional retreats and soul in the city and these different events to get kids out of their context so they can hear with fresh eyes. And it's not just kids. We send adults on global mission trips and they have transformative experiences because it's oftentimes true that when God wants to teach you something, he takes you on a journey. So I've been thinking about journeys. In fact, um, I I was... Reminded of something that I said to my wife Heather when we were in college toward the end of college We were getting you know starting to move towards marriage And I said hey wouldn't it be awesome if for the first ten years of marriage We only stayed two years in any city So we'd live in five different cities and we'd have all this life experience You see we both grew up in Pittsburgh and went to the University of Pittsburgh And we were just ready to get out of town And the painful thing about that is it became actually what happened we went to Chicago for a couple years. We went to Charleston for a couple years. We went to Sheffield, England. We went to Houston. Then we went back to Pittsburgh for seminary before I was called here. And I learned a couple of things from that. One is that the Lord was giving me a crash course in large church leadership and church planting. I'd been an engineer, and so I was, I, I, they were all fairly sizable churches, except the one in Houston was a church plant. So I got large church leadership experience and then church planting experience, and missional communities in Sheffield, England. I picked up all this stuff kind of in concentration real fast, and we ended up living into that thing. And it was really helpful. Now, I remember being in seminary in my last year, and I said to Bishop TJ, you know, my family's from Pittsburgh, it'd be great if, we could, if I could find a ministry within maybe a five or six hour drive of here. How about Florida? It's <laughs> 13 hours away. You know, and I was thinking, stay close to my family of origin. And, But, you know, the Lord sent us here, and from the very interview weekend, Heather and I felt like we've known this people forever. And my prayer since then has been, Lord, I will stay as long as you let me. And I'm really grateful, we love it here, and both of our parents have moved down here. But it's been an an incredible journey. But my journey's not done, nor is yours. And so I want to ask you this question, what journey has God taken you on to get you to this moment? And what journey are you currently on? And that can be literal or figurative. I mean, you might literally have just moved to Jacksonville and just found this church, or you might literally be about to move to some other place. You know, the, the Lord moves people around. We have a good shepherd who, who's moving us, or it could be like a figurative journey. You're going through a transition. Um, you're fighting a disease, and it's terrifying, or um, you're experiencing some kind of a loss, or you sent your kids off to college, or you've got a new child, or whatever. These are all journeys, not necessarily geographic ones, but they're journeys. And when God wants to teach us something, He often takes us on a journey. Now, today's text in this new sermon series is about a journey, a journey of faith. It's very easy to find it in a pew Bible. You go to page 8. The new sermon series will have us in Genesis. We're in the patriarchs now. So, uh, Genesis chapter 12 is where I want to start this, this uh, sermon series off, and we're calling it The Patriarch's God's Persistent Call. And what we're going to learn right away is that the Lord is not just calling Abram, but He's calling Isaac and Jacob and generations and generations and generations, including you and I, and He's not done calling. This is a persistent thing for the ages. God's call is persistent, it's going further. And if I say Abraham, I mean Abram today because his name doesn't actually get changed until chapter 17, verse 5, but Abram is his name, which means exalted father. That's literally in the Hebrew what it means. Abraham means father of a multitude. So God is going to call him to be the father of, of literally a zillion people, as numerous as the stars or the sand. He'll be the father of a multitude, but right now he's an exalted father. And, this, and his name will get changed a little later. So if I say Abraham, I mean Abram, forgive me. Now I backed up our, our reading to start in chapter 11, verse 27, because that's the real transition in Genesis. The so-called primordial history, chapters 1 through 11, find a real turning point right here. And there's a kind of a formula. It says, these are the generations of Terah, who was Abram's father. And when it says, these are the generations of, it's about to give um, a family line and some details, and it's not so much about Torah as it's setting up, who is this Abram? Where does he come from before we learn where he's going? And the first, the first 11 chapters of, of uh, Genesis are mostly negative. You know, God spoke and created, and that was good, and created people, and that was very good. And then almost immediately, chapter 3, we're plunged into rebellion, sin, death, suffering, uh, shame, nakedness, all this stuff, and a serpent, and and then there's a flood, and God wipes out everything and starts over with Noah, and then there's a Tower of Babel, and God has to, has to scatter them because they're trying to build a name for themselves rather than the name that God would have them um, have. It's not a bad thing to be a person of renown, but you don't want secular uh, acclaim. You want divine acclaim. You want God to build a name for you, not you build a name for yourself. So, those first chapters are mostly negative, and now we get to the word blessing, where God is calling forth this guy Abram, and through this one individual, he's going to bring a a blessing to all families of the earth is what it says. The Hebrew word is families there, all families, but you could say nations, ethnic groups, whatever. In fact, I picked the gospel reading for today from John 12 because it's the moment that the Greeks come seeking Jesus, and when that happens, he says, ah, my hour has come. And then he goes into the upper room in chapter 13 and goes to the cross. Because everything narrowed down to Jesus and then it goes out to the Gentiles. It goes out to the nations. And that was symbolic in John chapter 12. I cannot overestimate the importance of Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We have to keep going back and back to this because it explains everything. It explains Jesus the Messiah. It explains your journey that you're on. It explains the church. What God is still doing that will be Consummated in the book of Revelation when that day comes, it all goes back to right here. I think of it like an hourglass. God created the universe, He created the world, He created all the different people, whatever, but then all of a sudden He narrows down on one individual, Abram, and chooses a people, and through that one person, it's going to go back out to all people. And through your offspring, I will bless all the families of the earth. That's part of what's going on right here. It's suddenly very specific. It ignores Shem's other descendants, it, it, it ignores all the other peoples, and it focuses now on the people of God, the, the chosen people. And this is going to be a theme that will run through the rest of the Bible. And it's still a theme in our lives today. So he's focused on blessing. But um, divine blessing mediated through offspring. So God's call to Abram is this. Forsake the normal source of security. Your country and your family of origin. Give up your parents and grandparents and your family traditions. Give up your citizenship. You're going to go to a place that I will show you later. I mean, it's 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 a real call of trust. And he is Abram of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, this is an anachronistic label, a gloss that was added later, because the Chaldeans didn't exist for like a thousand years after Abram. But there were other Ur's around, and at some point someone said, well, which one was it? And they added Ur of the Chaldeans. But the Chaldeans as a people didn't even exist until much later. So Ur is actually about 200, 187 miles, 300 kilometers southeast of Baghdad. That's where this is. And it's, you know, it's 100 miles northwest of the Persian Gulf. We're talking right there, and you know exactly where that is. It was ancient Babylon um, after it was Ur, and now it's modern-day Baghdad. And so that's where he was from. And at one point, his father, um, Terah, takes him and Lot and some others from the family, and they move up to Haran, which is basically southern, the southern border with Syria, but it's in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. He goes up there, and they stay there. And then that's where he, his father ends up dying. That's where this starts. That's where the call comes. For whatever reason, his father has moved the family from Ur up to there, and they're in Haran, Terah dies. And then the word of the Lord comes, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's a scary call. Abram is wealthy. He's a prosperous person. Don't picture a nomad. Picture a sheik. He's got multiple people in his entourage, in his household. He's got herds and flocks. This will get even bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes. He's been very prosperous, but now he's going to be dislodged from, from everything he knows. It's really a question of, will you trust me instead of in all these other things that provide security in this world? I'm inviting you to trust me. Now, some scholars have called this a second creation account. In Genesis 1, the word of the Lord comes and creates everything, the universe, the world, all the people. But in this word, he creates a people, a chosen people. He has chosen Abram. It's a creation account of sorts. The word of the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then it goes on. It says, I will make you, make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. God's saying, I will make your name great, Abram. Unlike the Tower of Babel, they were trying to make a name for themselves. God says, I'm going to do this. I will make your name great. So that and this is so important, God doesn't bless you for your sake. You are blessed so that you can then be a blessing to other people, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and which obviously plural, multiple, all those that will bless you, I will bless them, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So don't expect you're going to get a ton of curses. The individual who is against you, I will, I'll take care of that guy. But you're going to be a blessing, and I'm, I'm going to bless you. And anyone who blesses you, I'm going to honor them as well. And then the key verse, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is through your offspring, Abram. This is going to be a huge thing. This is incredible. Now, all families, Christian theology has long understood to point down to the Messiah, Jesus, that he is pointing ahead to something that Abram couldn't possibly have understood. But reading backwards, we understand this. In fact, in Galatians chapter uh, 3, the Apostle Paul, he explains this. He says, this is chapter 3, verse uh, 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, writes Paul, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul, the apostle, connects this for us. Now, he understood as a good Jew that it also meant the Israelites. It also meant a people. It meant a whole nation. All of that stuff was part of this. But ultimately, the hourglass comes down to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then through him is where all the blessings are going to go to all the nations, all the peoples, everyone. This is what God was doing. Paul picks up the collective singular through your offspring singular. It's literally the word seed, the generational seed. All the families will be blessed. Now, verse 4 is what's interesting. It implies immediate obedience. So, there's no delay. All the families of the earth shall be blessed, verse 4. So, Abram went, period. It's very terse. As soon as the blessed, as soon as God stops speaking, the narrator tells us, so Abram went. This is not all that different from what we read in the New Testament. Jesus said, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They drop their nets and they follow him, which is an incredible act of faith and trust in the one calling. Now, just like the disciples, they were blundering around, they didn't understand it, they were full of doubt and selfish ambition and competing with one another to see who's the better disciple, all this stuff, Abram pretty much does that too. I mean, it's not long before he's... He's lying about his wife to say she's his sister because she's beautiful, and he can get favor with the pharaoh in Egypt, um, and, you know, it's self-interest rather than trusting God. And so most of the time, Abram seems to go with doubt and confusion, but he starts with immediate obedience. So Abram went. And we learn later that he ends with incredible obedience when God asked him to sacrifice the, the promised son, Isaac, and he's willing to do it, believing that God could raise Isaac from the dead, that God's promises are true and trustworthy. So Abram um, is a believer. He really believes. Now what happens as soon as he obeys and goes into the land of Canaan is there's a, some kind of a theophany, a divine vision where God appears to him. It says in verse 7, um, or actually let me back up a little bit, it says uh, he, Abram was 75 when he departed from Haran, and he took his wife, Sarah, and his brother's son, whose name is Lot, and all their possessions, remember he's a sheik, he's wealthy, that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to the land of Canaan, and Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak tree of Moreh. This is somewhere around where the woman at the well visits with Jesus, near Sychar. Um, it's in Samaritan territory, Later it would be Samaritan territory, but this is way before that, it's Canaanites in the land. And the Lord appears to him there. And it says, um, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. See, what's gonna happen is Abram is being asked to go to a place he doesn't yet know, following a God he only vaguely knows, and then God keeps appearing to him and reaffirming him and and re-upping the promises and, and initiating a covenant And each time that happens, he builds an altar. And it's not just a pile of stones, but the word altar in Hebrew implies sacrifice. He builds an altar, and he kills an animal, very much mindful of the fact that he is sinful, and atonement needs to be made before this holy God that has just appeared to the earth. You and I take for granted that this is a God-saturated world. For them, it was not so much. It was like the holy God came down in this moment, and later Jacob will say, God was in this place and I didn't even know it and builds an altar there but here Abram builds the first altar and sacrifices and he leaves these these little monuments of where God has interacted with with the world and there's another one that happens in Bethel he moves a little further down by the way Bethel means house of God God showed up builds another altar and then he moves to the Negev which in Hebrew means south so he moves down through Canaan leaving little altars every place he interacts with God And then he ends up not actually getting to see the fulfillment of the blessing, which is instructive for us. You know, God has given you promises in this book, things to look forward to. Christians grieve, but we grieve as people with hope because we're looking to something that is yet to come. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not yet see, says Hebrews 11.1. And just like Abram, he didn't get to see the multitude, he didn't get to see his descendants possessing the land. He didn't see any of that stuff. He died in a hope of a, that God was going to make good on his promise. But this book is about a God who makes good on promises. And so we have this incredible situation. Now, right away, there are two problems that test him, and he mostly fails. One problem is this. If you're going to have um, descendants, your wife has to be able to bear a child, and his wife is barren. And secondly, if you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars, you need a lot of land. And the Canaanites live in the land, and there's a famine. Right away, there's a test, almost immediately. And the question is, Abram, will you trust me or not? And Abram decides not to, and goes to Egypt, and barters with Pharaoh, and sells his wife to get more stuff, but then God steps in and saves him, and it's like this sequence of doubt versus faith, doubt versus faith, and God persistently calling and pursuing and fulfilling what he promises. That's who God is, but God persists and God teaches faith through the journey of life. Abram's character grows, his identity grows, his name gets changed. He gets the covenant. Eventually, he gets does get Isaac, but you no, know, not without lots of problems, which we'll see in this coming series. Now, the author of Hebrews, in the Hall of Faith, chapter eleven of Hebrews, recognizes that despite Abram's shortcomings, he is worthy of the Hall of Faith because. When God said go, he went. And let me read to you what the author of Hebrews says. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to the same thing you and I are still looking forward to. Our temptation is to try to stop the journey and settle right now in this life as it is. But frankly, it's not good enough. There's a pandemic, there's sickness, there are calamities, there are hurricanes, there are fires and floods, there's war, there's strife. This thing is broken badly. And we are longing for the city whose foundation is God. We are looking ahead to that day. And the question is will you call on the name of the Lord like Abram did or will you with self-deception or with deception and with self-interest and with posturing and earthly measures of strength try to solve your problem yourself or will you call call out We are not home yet but we are still on a journey and God uses that journey to help us Now unlike Abraham on this side of the cross see it went from little altars Then it went to a tabernacle where they built a tent because they had grown so big in the wilderness. Then they get into the land and eventually build a temple. But as we heard last week, the temple curtain tore when Christ was killed and the Messiah, it's like the holiness of God broke out of the Holy of Holies and went everywhere. And now you, if you're a believer, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is a God-saturated situation now. And he is with us. And so it's a little different than what Abram was experiencing. And we expect more because we know more. And God has even more than that for us. So, will we call upon the name of the Lord or not? Our journey is going to test our faith. Your faith is being tested right now, mine's being tested right now. And the question is will we resist the temptations to settle here, or are we willing to go where God will lead us? I promise it's better. I know how the book ends, I've read all the way to the back of it. And it talks about a river running through this heavenly city that has not one but two trees of life. Remember the Garden of Eden had a tree of knowledge of good and evil and a tree of life and they're blocked from being able to get to the tree of life and the tree of evil, knowledge of good and evil causes a problem. In the new thing, there's two trees of life with leaves that are for the healing of the nations and because the first story happened the way it did, there's no risk. like The Garden of Eden always had the risk of rebellion and the serpent. All that's dealt with in the Messiah. And now we're looking forward to this new thing that God is going to build. It has a river running through it, and on both sides are trees of life, and there is no chance of failure. But the question is, will we call on the name of the Lord now in this journey? Will we say, Lord, where are you leading me? What are you teaching me? Help me be prepared in holiness for this thing that is to come. That's what you and I were made for. It's an incredible journey. And I want to ask you to invite God to grow you in faith and prepare you for where you're headed. So why don't we bow our heads and pray, and then we're just going to be still and have a a moment of silence uh, before we go into the creed. Well, Lord, I am thankful for this journey that you have us on. Sometimes it seems like these stories are just stories but not real people. And yet Abram will, will meet him one day. Lord, there's much for us to learn from these patriarchs, and I pray that you would give us an excitement for this journey and what you're teaching us. I pray that you would show us any attitudes that maybe are not in keeping with the journey you have us on. Lord, we're going to be still before you for a moment. To clarify what's going on in our lives for us and how you might be using it for good. Come into this moment of silence, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your presence here. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you now to stand and let's together join in professing the faith using the Nicene Creed.